Hey everyone. So we are going to wrap up our season on mysticism by discussing Marian mysticism and what I am presenting to be how Mary is the heart of the disciple of Christ and the heart of the contemplative mystic. So we will start this episode with a little bit more about that concept as well as discussing the joyful mysteries. I will be supplementing this series with plenty of Patreon content, so please check that out, and I hope you enjoy. Ave Maria. The caravan had left. The exhausted mother and her groom lay on the back of camels as their guides led the way. The sun was beating on their back, and the bright light was nearly blinding them. While they were both experiencing discomfort, they still found a quiet peacefulness in the monotony, the rhythm of the camel steps, the simplicity of their surroundings was lulling them into sleep. That is until Mary screamed. Where is he? Where is Jesus? If we were to take a bird's eye view and look at the chaos that was unfolding, the caravan of 12 or so stopped abruptly, men and women running around checking each of the covered carts in the backs of camels. You can hear muffled shouting and maybe even see shoving amongst the men. And then you see a camel take off, a woman crying, sitting on top, and a man running, slipping, stumbling in the sand as he tries to drag the camel behind him. Three days of trekking. The journey took them to the temple, and as was customary, Mary and Joseph went alongside a caravan, and in the caravan were children and women assigned to look after them, but this particular trek had much more children than usual and less women to look after them. And the men tried to assist, but they were also busy tending to the camels and looking for thieves along the way, which was so common. And somehow, when leaving the temple, Jesus, son of Joseph, beloved child of Mary, was left behind. How they didn't notice, neither of them knew, but it left ample time for argument and tears as the couple now alone journeyed back. And while the travel itself was dangerous, which is why people took caravans, nothing was worse than the destructive thoughts going through the mind of Mary. Her role in all of this was to protect her beloved child. And while, yes, this protection was a demand and a promise that she made to God, she was also his mother. She simply saw her love of Jesus not just as a promise made to God, which is a promise that all mothers and fathers make, but it was just her role as his mom, a mother who loved that child more than anything she had ever loved before. The silence of the desert was deafening, 
but her thoughts were so very loud. Is he okay? Was he taken? Where is he? This was the first time Mary was ever without her son Jesus, and oh, did she feel it. She could physically feel a difference in her being, in her body, in her heart. There was an emptiness to her senses, and all her mind and heart could feel was a strong yearning to be back with her beloved Jesus. She wanted to hold him, to kiss him, to cry for him, to ask the child for forgiveness. And what a thought, a mother asking a young boy to forgive her, but oh, it had to be done. How foolish it was that she left her child behind. And not many words were spoken between the husband and wife as day turned to night. And tonight again, not eating, not sleeping, one could say it was a fast a fast that they can more quickly be with Jesus, a fast so they could better see their beloved. And after what seemed like weeks, they had arrived in the courtyard of the house of God, running through it, frenzied, maddened. They both yelled out for Jesus, crying his name, hungry, exhausted, severely wounded. They sought him in the temple. They looked in every nook and cranny and every corner and every room so desperately looking for the one that they love. And finally, when they were about to give up, there he was. There was the beautiful child, smiling, radiant. He had a crowd around him, and he was speaking to them as if he was teaching them. And these older men and women were in astonishment of his words. Son, Mary said, where have you been? Did you stay here on purpose? Did you choose to not go with us? Why would you do this to us? Oh, mother, Jesus replied, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Mary then lifted him up and held him close. She kissed his head. She did not understand, nor did she even attempt to approach this entire situation with logic, nor did she want to quell her racing mind. All she wanted was to rest her restless heart as she held her son close. This is another episode of St. Anthony's Tongue, and this is Marian mysticism, the joyful mysteries. Peace be with you and with your spirit. Welcome to another episode of St. Anthony's Tongue. I am your host, W. The Blessed Virgin Mary is quite central to the spiritual lives of many saints and many saints that we have spoken of over the last few months. St. Ignatius of Loyola leaving his sword and his armor at the feet of a Marian statue and then later an apparition of Mary would appear and lead him onto his path to sainthood. St. Teresa of Avila, she recommended entire contemplative practices centered on putting oneself in the mysteries of Christ and thus the presence of the Holy Mother. 
St. Catherine of Siena, during her bouts of ecstasy, God spoke through her and spoke on the importance of the Mother of God. There's also many mystics we have not spoken about this season, but you might be familiar with. St. Francis de Sales was about to leave Christianity altogether when he threw himself at the feet of Mary. And he did this because he felt as if he was becoming brainwashed by this rampant view that God was wrathful rather than loving. And at the foot of this black Madonna statue, Mary eased his heart. Bernard of Clairvaux was nourished by Mary in an apparition. And I could go on and on and on. And apparitions, miracles, and the supernatural are central to Catholic spirituality. However, Mary is also the model disciple and the model mystic. And I think quite often we see her in her glorious, beautiful, and very valid role as intercessor, and we forget her role as example and model. Now think about it. Even from the most high level, Mary was born a woman flesh and blood. You and I are flesh and blood too. She was, of course, full of grace. And while you might not feel as if you are full of grace, I can assure you that you certainly too can be in a state of grace. As the sacraments and virtue, they draw us more near to God. And when that happens, we become full of grace. Mary, without sin, was as close to God as one can be. She carried the God-man in her own womb. And even having God within her, sometimes she still did not understand. And yet, despite not understanding, she still drew closer and closer to her son throughout his ministry. Nonetheless, in her grace, she made her fiat. She made her promise. She answered God's call when the angel Gabriel appeared to her. And similarly, you and I have a call too, in which we agree to. We agree to be living icons of God's love. Enduring Mary's journey, her journey was met with sorrow. Even the joyful birth was met with anxiety as they hastily had to find a location, a dirty stable to give birth, and then even more hastily had to flee to save the infant Jesus' life. Though despite the sorrow, despite the trouble, she remained true in protecting Christ, going through these pains. And at the foot of the cross, she was deemed the mother of us all. And through her faith, through her continual love of Christ, she ascended into heaven and sits amongst her Son and the Trinity, and there she intercedes for us and prays for us near the throne of God. And that is our calling, too, to answer that fiat, to go through that sorrow and darkness and stay true even there, to descend into hell with Christ, to see that he reigns there, too, and go through this with love, much like Mary did at the cross. And then we too will also go to heaven. We will join the saints in heaven. We will join Mary and we will join the choir of praises that are sung at the throne of God. And like Mary, we too will assist in hearing the prayers of those on earth.
Mary is the model disciple and the model mystic. So there are many ways that we can unpack the mysticism and the contemplation found in Mary and her role in the church. Though I'd like to explore this by going through each of the mysteries of the rosary. Now please remember that scripture is like a diamond and light reflecting off of it shows thousands of different colors and shapes. I am approaching this as I would approach Lexio Divina or contemplative mystical prayer. These are my own meditations and reflections. I am hoping to reflect on them under this umbrella of Christian Catholic mysticism. But remember, my reflections are not the only interpretations, but I hope in doing so, I can shed light in the deep mysticism of the Marian mysteries. And also, I hope this encourages you to take part in contemplative prayer in Lexio Divina. And of course, I hope this also shows you a style that you can use when you pray the rosary, as I find many of us have lost the great luster of the mysteries while praying the rosary. We send, tend to just go through them all, but there's a deep beauty, a deep contemplation in meditating upon these. So let's begin. But first, please join me. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and the hour of our death. Amen. First, before we begin, the joyful mysteries are probably my favorite. And it's actually not because they are joyful. It's because as we go through these, you'll notice that none of them begin in joy. Each of them begin in fear, darkness, anxiety, or uncertainty. And then the joy comes. And while I will be discussing this and repeating that, likely in every mystery, how often do we feel that? That it's always darkest before the light comes. And how true is that of our spiritual life as well? So let us begin with the Annunciation. The Archangel Gabriel appears, and in essence, asks this young woman if she is willing to carry the Son of God. And going back to what I just said, while this is an honor, because Mary knew that soon we will be set free, and she can play a role in it, first, think about the fear involved in that. Think about the pain and the anguish and the responsibility involved in that. Of course, an angel appeared in your room, too. How frightening will that be? So think about that. Think about the pressure. Of course, accepting it was a beautiful thing, and eventually it all pays off. But like I said, the joyful mysteries never start in joy. And of course, think about her being pregnant as a young, unmarried woman. The ridicule that she will face. 
being removed and outcast from certain social circles because of this, suffering because of this. And that alone, my friends, is going back to how sometimes we must suffer for God, suffer for good, like Mary may have suffered from ostracization when carrying Christ. We too may feel ostracized too. And when I say that, I'm not saying that us proclaiming Christ as Lord, us proclaiming that we are Christians will lead to us being ostracized. It may. I am simply saying that we may have to go through that darkness before we see God. And when I say see God too, I'm not saying necessarily that we will have this big conversion. I'm also not necessarily saying that we will have this big miraculous event. It could simply be happiness. And in that happiness, we can more so see God at play. But regardless, like Mary, saying yes means suffering. But saying yes also means that God will be here. And God will be in her. And thus, sometimes our sacrifice must be made to have God within us too. When Mary answers the angel, she doesn't just say yes. What does she say? She says, let it be to me according to your word. This is a surrender. This is, let it be done, God, according to your will, not mine. We've spoken about this quite often this season. Oftentimes we want things our way. We want God to look like we want God to look like. We want spirituality to fit our own ego. We want the journey to be what we want the journey to be. And thus, we cling. And thus, we get caught up in this vision that we have created. But it is not our vision. It is not our will. It is God's. And on this mystical path, in this path of contemplation, we must be willing to let go, to surrender that ego grip that we have on what we want God and life to be and surrender to his will. Are we willing to do that? Because Mary was. And this is a big step in the mystical life, in the contemplative life, to be willing to let go and surrender to God's will. If we look at the lives of the saints, they often mirrored God's will rather than their own. Teresa of Avila, Ignatius of Loyola, Francis of Assisi, Benedict of Nursia, so many more left their lives of comfort to serve God because that was God's will. And the next two things we can take from the Annunciation are so subtle, but deep with symbolism. The first is simply this is a divine encounter. And while on the contemplative or mystical path, we shouldn't seek out divine encounters. In fact, I would say most of our encounters, even if they are subtle, are always divine on this path. But that is something to be had. She heard God's message. 
And we too can hear God's message sometimes in contemplative prayer. And in that moment, Christ was in her womb. In that moment, Christ was in her. God was in her. Through contemplative prayer, we too can have God more fully within us. And our own journey can be made more clear. And the final reflection for the contemplative, for the mystic, is how Mary met the angel's presence. She met it with silence and listening. And this goes back to the fiat. This goes back to surrender. Oftentimes in contemplative prayer, we must listen. We must not put our own thoughts or our own will out there. It's okay to do that. But overall, we must listen. And Mary in that moment listened and sat in silence. And sometimes that's all we need to start the journey towards Christ being born in our hearts. The next mystery is the visitation. But first, please join me as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed are thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Here Mary undertook a pilgrimage to see her cousin, Elizabeth, who was also with child, with John the Baptist. And Mary, being younger again, may have felt anxiety or fear that she will be judged by her cousin. And this was also a long, arduous journey to get there. And when she did get there, she was met with joy, in which Elizabeth said, Blessed are you amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Here, this highlights the importance of community on the contemplative and mystical path. While, yes, this is something that is personal, and it is something that can be private, oftentimes it is good to have someone to assist us, to be with us, to speak with us, to learn from, take solace in, and also the joy is here, the joy that is felt when God is present, because Christ was present in Mary's womb, and thus Christ was present in that meeting between Elizabeth and Mary, and there was joy. There was so much joy and happiness there because they felt God in that room. And again, in the contemplative way, we must not force emotions. But it is so common to feel such joy, such joy in those prayerful moments, when we can feel the presence of God. And in this meeting too, when Elizabeth uttered, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, this was her prophesying. This was her being filled with the Holy Spirit. This was her having spiritual insight, knowing that she is pregnant with the Son of God. And us too in the contemplative and mystical life, while we may not seek or be granted spiritual gifts such as this, we still do seek spiritual insight and are given it. Most of all, though, this scene is so often associated 
with Advent because we are joyful. We are joyful that Christ is coming, but there's still work to do. Literal mundane work for Mary, ensuring that their home is taken care of, ensuring that there is family to help her raise him. However, for us, what can we do to ensure Christ is born in our hearts? How can we prepare for that? And thus, Advent isn't just a reminder of Christ's birth. It's a rebirth of Christ in our hearts. And this moment reminds us of an Advent, an Advent that can take place 365 days a year, not just on December 25th. As we pray this mystery, we reflect on what we can do to more fully allow Christ to be born within us. The next mystery is the incarnation or the birth of Christ. But first, please pray with me. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. The incarnation, the birth of Christ, is called the mystery of mysteries. It has been written so much by so many saints from Thomas Aquinas, Bernard of Clairvaux, Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross, uh, Meister Eckhart, Francis de Sales, could go on and on and on and on and on. So this could be its own episode in of itself. But let's focus on a few things. Let's focus on some things that I don't always hear in the sermons of Augustine and the sermons of Francis de Sales. And that goes back to my point I made at the beginning of these mysteries, that the joyful mysteries very rarely begin in joy. Think about this. Think about the arduous journey to Bethlehem. They couldn't find a temple. They couldn't find a home. They couldn't find a place for Mary to give birth. This was rushed. It was anxious. But they made it happen. Again, not my will, but God's. My will would be to give birth in a luxurious place, but here it was in a stable. Moreover, though, Christ was born, and the angels sang, and the animals sang, and the stars and the sun and the moon all cried out to God. However, first, there was anxiety. First, there was darkness. First, there was uncertainty. And then soon after that, they must flee again. Even though God is with them, they still are scared. They still are worried. They still are uncertain. And you and I, in our path, in the contemplative path, in the general spiritual path, sometimes it's the dark journey that leads to the birth of God in our hearts. And similarly, even though the darkness might soon come again and God is with us, we met God. In this case, gave birth to God. God is more with us and more present than ever before, but there is still fear. And that is okay. We must trust and have faith that all will be well. But here we also have the embracing of humanity by God. 
I always think it's funny at the end of the calendar year, I see all of these social media posts, all of this talk about Christ the King, Christ the ruler, Christ the emperor. And that is true. That is true. But Christ did not incarnate as a king. And when he became king, it was a king that did not wear a crown of jewels, but a crown of thorns, a king that did not ride in on a horse, but an ass. Anyhow, he did not incarnate as a rich king, a ruler who could smite with a snap of his fingers. He incarnated as an infant, as a helpless infant, as a child, as a baby who needed to be changed, who needed to be nursed, who needed to be taken care of. And similarly, my friends, you and I, we must nurture and take care of the Christ that lives in our heart. We must take care of the God within us, nurturing it, taking care of that relationship through prayer and through contemplation. This is why the saints feel joy when they hold the Christ child. St. Joseph is considered an exemplar of contemplative prayer and mysticism. Why? Because he held God in his arms. Joseph may have been the first person to see God's face and lived. St. Anthony of Padua, he had an apparition of the child Christ. So did Teresa of Avila, many others. This is important because we too want to hold God in our arms. We too want that same intimacy with the Lord. And just like the incarnation, just like in that stable, we too must make way for the Lord, but we too must yearn to hold him in our arms. Even though getting to that stable may be filled with anxiety and fear, if we keep pushing forward, we too can hold Christ more closely than ever before. We must push through the darkness, push through the sorrow to see the joy. His will, not ours. The next mystery is the presentation in the temple. But first, join me as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Here, Mary and Joseph go to present Christ in the temple, which was custom at the time. And this alone shows their obedience to the Mosaic law, and it's a symbol to their submission to God's will. And this also represents a deep consecration to God's divine plan. Much like you and I must submit and be willing to surrender to God's plan. Something that's not always spoken of in this mystery. This is believed to when Jesus had his name. Jesus. And this is big because this was the first time we could say the name of God. So this goes back in a similar vein to the incarnation when now God has a face. Now God has a name. 
God is something, someone that is tangible and that we can cry out to. Here, Simeon also announces the prophecy has been fulfilled, that this is God and that Mary's heart will be pierced. But in that piercing, her love can change the world. Simeon also took Christ in his arms. In the temple, we too are believed that we can take Christ in our arms. And through contemplative prayer, we can be like Simeon and do the same. Mary here also offered two turtle doves or pigeons. And that is said to symbolize simplicity and humility. And we, in the mystical path and the contemplative path, we emphasize the need to cultivate an attitude of simplicity, a reminder to detach from worldly possessions in favor of spiritual ones. Mary gave away these birds, these signs of simplicity. It's a reminder that we too should live simply and geared towards God. In the temple, you also had the prophetess Anna, who never left the temple but fasted and prayed there day and night. And here, now, she fasted and prayed. She was now in the presence of God. We too, in fasting and prayer, can put ourselves in the presence of our beloved. Lastly, during this presentation, Mary underwent a purification rite. And this suggests that we too must purify ourselves consistently in our journey. Here, Christ was with us. God is with us. That is what the name Jesus means. But Mary still asked to be purified, to remain worthy, to be the mother of God. So we too must remain purified to ensure that we are walking towards Christ rather than away from God. No, I'm not necessarily speaking in a legalistic way or one that is overly caught up in things like purity that may be a result of culture here in and here out. Rather, simply put, we must reject the things that move us further from God and accept the things that move us closer. Sin isn't just this thing that stops us from getting into heaven. Sin is a blockage, something that blocks us from feeling God and feeling God's love. And yes, the word feeling there is tricky, but it stops us from that communion in some ways. So we must remain purified, as Mary did here, even though she was already as pure as can be, which also shows humility on this path. And finally, the last and very simple mystery is finding Christ in the temple. But first, please join me. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Mary and Joseph lost Jesus for three days, and they searched for him in the temple. And during those moments, it was the first time they were ever away from their beloved. 
and they were lost and scared and terrified. And the only thing they wanted was to be back with him. They yearned for him and longed for him. And of course, they found him calm, happy, and jubilant in the house of God. And here, it talks about the mystical path and the contemplative path of yearning for God, for always desiring God, to seek God. And that is the path of the mystic. That is the path of the followers of Christ, is to seek God in all things. Mary and Joseph felt this emptiness. And they longed for him. And I can imagine... Mary, of course, we know. She says, I do not understand. I do not understand why you stayed here and disobeyed us. But she didn't seek to understand. When she found him, she held on to him and did not let go. That is all she cared about. Not understanding the intellectual things that were going on. All she sought was to be near Jesus Christ. And we too, sometimes on the path, we get caught up in the understanding. Now, most of the great mystics and contemplatives were great theologians. But oftentimes we get caught up in the understanding rather than the surrender and rather than holding Christ God in our arms. And here they longed and they sought for him and they found him. They found him in the house of God, which is where we can find him too. And they held him close, not wanting to let him go. So there are times that you and I will feel away from God. And the most cut and dry symbolism here is when we feel distance from God, we can find him in the house of God. When we feel far away from Christ, we can find him in the temple. That's good. That's fine. I like that. However, this is also saying there will be times where you do not feel that God is right with you. So yes, you must also yearn for him and seek him. Go and find him. And maybe it's not always about understanding. Sometimes it is. We still must understand. But there are times, too, that we must just... Go with his will and not ours, and just seek to hold him. Always seek to find him. And when we feel as if we have lost him, seek to find him again, because he is always there in the temple, both in the temple that is the house of God and in the temple of our hearts. That is the path of the mystic. That is the path of contemplation. To answer the fiat, to feel joy, to give birth, and then to seek when he is lost. And then that may start all over again. But what a beautiful dance that is. It's a promise to celebrate, to give birth, to lose and to find. So I hope you have enjoyed these meditations on the mysteries under the veil of Marian mysticism. 
Join us next week as we continue looking at the mysteries in the context of Catholic and Christian mysticism. But first, join me in prayer. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, hail our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this veil of tears. Turn then, most gracious advocate, thine eyes of mercy towards us. And after this our exit, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary. Thank you for listening. And until next time. In Coriezo Sacratissimum, Miserere Nobis, may the Sacred Heart of Christ have mercy on us. <laughs>